I don't hate players. I hate ADPs. But in recent years, there are three players in particular, and I've talked about them on many shows, for whom I hate more than just their ADPs. It goes beyond the ADP with these three players. Devontae Parker, Dante Moncrief, and Josh Doxson. These are the three wide receivers that I want to load into a spaceship and shoot off into outer space and never see again. Why? Because they tricked me. That's why. They tricked me. I feel tricked. Because I'm mad at them for making me look like a fool. Let's start with Devontae Parker. Devontae Parker, 109.5, height-adjusted speed score, 90th percentile, 46.3% college dominator, 90th percentile. Anytime you're in the 90th percentile, college dominator, speed score, you are in elite company. When you go to data analysis, playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis, and just select those two fields on a wide receiver prospect profile and sort wide receivers by dominator and speed score. Just sift out all the other receivers and all you have left are those with the the exceptional college dominance and the exceptional size adjusted athleticism. Those are your prototypical can't miss wide receiver prospects. And sometimes they miss. Jeff Janis famously stood in the center of that Venn diagram and missed. It happens. But with Devontae Parker, now you had draft capital. Now you had that he's a top 15 pick. And his best comparable player on player profiler is A.J. Green. Give him a 19.6, 74th percentile breakout age. The high college yards per reception. Checks every box. And Devontae Parker has less than 2,000 receiving yards in his NFL career. Less than 2,000 receiving yards, less than 10 touchdowns in what is one of the most disappointing careers for an NFL wide receiver in recent memory. I think Devontae Parker has been even more disappointing than Josh Doxson. When you go to Josh Doxson, look at Josh Doxson's profile. Playing in that air raid offense at TCU, Josh Doxson's dominator was never going to reach the 90th percentile. It wasn't going to happen. But he saw the field as a freshman at Wyoming before transferring, and his five touchdowns at Wyoming gave him an 18.8 breakout age. 90th percentile burst, 90th percentile catch radius. Josh Doxson checked all the boxes. And in his final year at TCU, he was on pace to break the college receiving yards record. He could have gone over 2,000 yards in his final year at TCU had he not broken his wrist. Think about that. There's a reason why I was excited about Josh Doxson and willing to ignore that he was one of the older prospects in the draft a couple years ago because he checked every other box. You look at it in context. You can't just dismiss a player because he's old on draft day compared to other wide receivers. But man, I did not see this epic flameout coming. I saw it for Laquan Treadwell. Oh yeah, but not Josh Doxson. And as it turns out, Laquan Treadwell is becoming a functional component of the Vikings' offense. He's scoring twice as many fantasy points per game and has a higher snap share because they want Laquan Treadwell on the field in running situations because he's developed into an exceptional blocker. Because he's such a great blocker, I can imagine Laquan Treadwell staying in the league until he's 30. Many years after, Josh Doxson has been flushed out of the league. Josh Doxson has less than 700 total receiving yards in his NFL career. I mean, what? In four games this year, less than 70 total yards. 
Less than 70 yards in four games this year. How is that possible? For whatever reason, he can't separate. And if you can't separate and Alex Smith is your quarterback, he'll never throw you the ball. Alex Smith does not throw wide receivers open. That's just not in his skill set. The only way to get the ball to Josh Doxson is to throw him open and let him use his 99th percentile catch radius. But that's not Alex Smith's game. So we talked about this in the preseason. The reason why we weren't drafting Josh Doxson and had him ranked significantly lower than Jamison Crowder, for example, was it was not a skill set fit. John Brown and Joe Flacco, that was the quintessential skill set fit. Josh Doxson, Alex Smith on the other end of the spectrum. Now, what about Dante Moncrief? Well, in some ways, this is the most surprising because Dante Moncrief has the exceptional athleticism. We're talking about a 97th percentile height-adjusted speed score and a 94th percentile burst score with the early breakout age. His breakout age is as early as anybody's. He was a young 18-year-old when he was thrust into the starting lineup at Mississippi and produced at least a 20% share of team receiving yards and touchdowns. So... Dante Moncrief was one of the signature precocious prospects in that 2014 wide receiver class. The only thing he didn't have was draft capital. At least Devontae Parker and Josh Doxson were first-round picks. Dante Moncrief was a third-round pick, but in any other draft class, he would have been drafted at least a full round higher. The only reason he fell to the third round is because there were so many other phenomenal wide receiver prospects drafted in 2014. You just don't see players that stand in the direct center of the breakout age and speed score Venn diagram that don't ascend to NFL stardom unless the wide receiver's name is Dante Moncrief. So I have touted Devontae Parker. I have touted Josh Doxson. I have touted Dante Moncrief at various points. And at every turn, I have been wrong. Wait, a fantasy mansion. Are you taking the L on a plier? Well, yeah. (laughs) So here's the thing. If you like a player and he never fires, you eventually have to take the L. Like, I'm taking the L on Jeff Janis when no NFL teams are calling him. Like, at that point, I have to say I was wrong about Jeff Janis. I ran out the clock on Jeff Janis until the final second ticked off before I waved the white flag. But if I'm fading a player, oh, if I'm fading a player, it is very difficult to get me to take the L because eventually, eventually, that player will fade. Might not be today. Might not be tomorrow. Sure glad I didn't fade Tom Brady. (laughs) 20 years of running out the clock. That would have been a stretch, to say the least. Woo! Missed that one. So I will run out the clock on players as long as I can. How about that? How about that for a clarification on me taking L's? And I think it's time to add Amari Cooper to this list. The receivers I want to load into a rocket ship and launch into outer space list. Because it's now been two lost seasons for Amari Cooper. So now he has two lost seasons that followed two highly impressive seasons. Because Amari Cooper's first two seasons in the league, going over 1,000 yards, that was particularly impressive because he was a young prospect. He came into the league at age 21 and immediately produced at age 21, at age 22. Suddenly, at age 23 and 24, he can't play. And it's strange. He was inefficient last year. That was the reason why Amari Cooper failed last year. It was simple inefficiency. Not hard to figure out what happened to Amari Cooper last year. He just forgot how to squeeze the football. Really, that was it. 
50% catch rate outside the top 90. Why was his catch rate so low? A 10.4% drop rate, top five in the NFL. And certainly number one among NFL receivers getting a 20% target share. But then a funny thing happened in 2018. The catch rate rose, the drops fell, and the target share collapsed. But then you look further on playerprofiler.com to target quality rating. That looks at the target depth and accuracy. 7.6, that's outside the top 50, and a catchable target rate of 78.1 outside the top 50, and yet his true catch rate, which only looks at catchable passes, 88%, 28th in the NFL. Not great, but not bad. He hasn't been bad. Only two drops this season for Amari Cooper. He has not been bad when targeted. He's just not getting the targets, and I don't understand why. It's not like the other options in that passing game are overwhelming. Jordy Nelson, a 33-year-old Jordy Nelson. Martavis Bryant clinging to the last vestiges of an NFL career. What? Look even deeper on player profile. Look at the cushion. 5.03 average cushion. That was top five of the NFL. So opposing defensive backs respect Amari Cooper, and he's getting great separation. 1.94 average yards of separation at target top 15 in the NFL. It's a very curious season for Amari Cooper as he has become the most enigmatic wide receiver in the NFL. Again, 2017 was a straightforward bust season. 2018 has been a befuddling bust season. Say that three times fast. Befuddling bust season, befuddling bust season, befuddling bust season. Oh shit. Listen to me. I'm really good at this whole talking thing. So something is going on with Amari Cooper, and as usual, it's a confluence of factors driving down his production. He's not as good as he was two years ago. Something is different about Amari Cooper. He's not the same football player he was in 2015 with the Raiders, and he's certainly not the football player he was in 2013 with Alabama. That's the Amari Cooper I fell in love with, but he's suffering through some of the worst quarterback play in the league, and in particular, when he's targeted. The target quality is awful because the targets are predominantly low depth, and many are uncatchable. So Amari Cooper is not to blame for his 2018 failures as much as he was to blame for his 2017 failures. And for that reason, we still have Amari Cooper clinging to a spot in the top 25 wide receivers on our Dynasty rankings. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. We have him nestled between Cooper Cup and Tyler Lockett on the Dynasty rankings. And I think that's fair. I think that's a balanced evaluation of Amari Cooper. And the reason why... Devontae Parker, Josh Doxson, Dante Moncrief, and Amari Cooper exasperate me so much is that not only are they proving me wrong with their failures, but they're also preventing me from playing their teammates. You saw that last week with Albert Wilson. Devontae Parker was active. And when Devontae Parker is active, it sends that wide receiver core into flux. The projected snap shares and target shares for Miami receivers become a lot more speculative. That's why I didn't play Albert Wilson in seasonal leagues or in DFS. He was matched up with one of the league's most suffocating defenses, with one of the league's worst quarterbacks, and that was when we thought it was Ryan Tannehill. And now Devontae Parker is going to be active. It was very difficult to justify playing Albert Wilson last week. But I found that this has been the case for years with Devontae Parker and Josh Doxson, and Dante Moncrief, and now Amari Cooper, is that their presence, the threat that they may, in any particular week, 
finally reach their potential is part of why I don't play Albert Wilson more. I don't play Kenny Stills more. It was only when Josh Doxson was deactivated that I finally pushed the button on Paul Richardson. And the presence of Dante Moncrief makes it more difficult to play Keelan Cole and Didi Westbrook in Jacksonville. And look at what Jordy Nelson's doing in Oakland. Before last week, he posted three consecutive games with 14 or more fantasy points. And I missed out on all of them. Why? The presence of Amari Cooper. That's why. It's infuriating. These are black hole wide receivers. Not only do they themselves not score fantasy points, but no light can escape. They prevent you from leveraging even the wide receivers around them. But this week I'm playing Albert Wilson. Oh yes. As I mentioned on the First Mover podcast a couple days ago, Albert Wilson is the second best yak receiver in the NFL after Golden Tate. He thinks he's the best. Albert Wilson came out with that swagger factor and said, I'm the best yak receiver in the NFL. Slow down. I love the confidence, but you're not the best. But guess what? You're second best, right? Albert Wilson is a special and unique player, and he's Miami's number one, even though he's not getting number one wide receiver snaps. The issue with Albert Wilson this season has been that he's been getting, at times, number three receiver snaps, even without Devontae Parker on the field. So there was speculation that with Devontae Parker active, he could be bumped down to the number four receiver? How can you play that guy? You can't. But what does he do? He logs snaps in passing situations. Even though his snap share is not 100%, the plays he's missing are run plays anyway. That's the great snap share fallacy with wide receivers. So what if your slot receiver is only logging a 66% snap share? All those snaps are the passing down snaps anyway. So I am playing Albert Wilson with full confidence, specifically in DFS where he's still only 4K on DraftKings. They do not dramatically adjust the pricing week to week on DraftKings. So you can get a, essentially a free roll on Albert Wilson this week. And we'll talk to my guest, Eric McClung, about his favorite cash game plays and GPP plays in DFS. And we might talk about Amari Cooper. Maybe. Definitely. With tears running down. And I watched a video posted on YouTube this weekend of two DFS bros broing out, criticizing the podfather. And on this video, I expected at any moment for tears to start running down their faces. Because, oh, were they tilting. Jeff Manns and Tommy G, in quotes, from the DFS Mafia Guru Elite, something, were triggered by the last Mind of Mansion podcast. It triggered in an epic way. The most triggered anyone has ever been from one of my podcasts. And it's a great accomplishment. It was such a great accomplishment that I went ahead and posted their beef response video as they battled back on stream on YouTube. I went ahead and reposted that on the Roto Underworld YouTube feed for multiple reasons. And we'll get into all those reasons in a moment. And the goal of these two caricatures, and I say caricature, not character, because they are caricatures of the wannabe meathead DFS bro. Their goal was to character smear the podfather, clearly. How do we know that? Because they parsed and spliced clips from the show in order to support their agenda. And what was their agenda? To smear me. There are a lot of sentences you can pull out of any show and play it out of context to try to embarrass the host. I mean, this is character smear tactics 101. I mean, you could parse and splice and take that whole 
Pete has a baby dick out of context from the last Mind of Mansion show, and it changes the whole meaning. Because if you actually listen to the show, you knew that I was saying that in jest to prove a point. But what if you just pulled the one sentence out? Then it sounds like I'm calling this guy a baby dicked fantasy analyst. And I would never do that. Draft Cheat Pete has a baby dick. Ever. I would never do that. Draft Cheat Pete has a baby dick. Draft Cheat Pete has a baby dick. Never ever. No. That's not in my DNA. I would never. Ever. Draft Cheat Pete has a baby dick. Draft Cheat Pete has a baby dick. Draft Cheat Pete has a baby dick. We don't call names on the show. No name calling on the show. None whatsoever. Don't do it. And as you watch this video, just imagine me reclining at my desk, smoking a cigar, relishing this victory, having been crowned the greatest troll killer in the history of fantasy football. YouTube.com, just type in Roto Underworld, and there it is. And the whole thing really is uproarious for anyone with critical thinking skills because you need to watch this thing just for the bad analogies. Jeff Manns and Tommy G become hysterical at the revelation that, that I myself do not play DFS competitively, right? And their analogy was, get this! Well, why would you ever take DFS advice from someone who's not a DFS pro? Would you take restaurant advice from someone who's not a chef? <laughs> what? You do know, Tommy, that the vast majority of restaurant critics are not only not chefs, they're not even in the restaurant business. <laughs> And in totality, what it is, is a parody that's not a parody. It's like the room of fantasy football live streams. These hosts have no idea how many people are laughing at them and not with them. It's truly stunning. It's a tough watch. Most of you won't be able to get through it because the sound quality is awful, right? Their big reveal, responding to the podfather on stream, and the microphones are scratchy. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's hard not to laugh at one of the most cliche, hyper-masculine, wannabe meathead videos in the history of YouTube. So you watch it for the unintentional comedy. That's the value of that video. That's why we posted it on our YouTube channel. Also to demonstrate just how triggered a fantasy analyst can be by the Podfather. This is a badge of honor. Because as I talked about with Nate Liss on the Sonic Truth Show, the scoreboard is how far up can you get in the other guy's feelings, right? Well, I think it's official after you watch this video. I am as far up in their feelings as one could possibly be. There's no light where I am this far up in their feelings. And it smells awful. I was also disappointed that they turned off the comments. So I turned on the comments on our copy of the video. Because we want to pull the subhumans in the fantasy football ecosystem out into the light. They like to hide under rocks and in caves. But when they hear this whistle, they come out into the open, into the light. Yes. Videos like this create a safe space for homophobia and misogyny. How do I know? They're in my Twitter feed! 
Oh, were the DFS goons active in my Twitter feed this weekend. Oh my. You gotta have the stomach for it, man. You gotta have the stomach for it. If you can't handle the Twitter tough guys, this game ain't for you, bro. And clearly, Jeff Manns and Tommy G were into what they were doing. (laughs) Clearly. Not only were they having fun, I think they thought what they were doing was good. I don't think they know how embarrassing it was. My guess is that it'll take some time for them to fully realize just how embarrassing that video was. I mean, I am terrified they're going to take it down. That's why I put it on our feed so it will live on forever. But this is what I wanted. This is what I asked for. This is what I begged the fantasy football community to deliver. A response to my challenges that goes beyond Twitter. And they were committed. And they delivered. I just wish it was good. But they certainly went further than I could ever go. I could never get away with putting that out there in a public medium for my daughter and her friends and her friends' parents and her teachers to see. At Ali Quick with two Ks responded to the video on Twitter with the following. Should we pay the guy that got so triggered he lynched himself on stream? Gruesome scene. Yeah, it was gross. If my daughter saw me lynch myself on stream like Jeff Manns did, I would be humiliated. And if my wife saw it, that would surely be the end of my drinking while streaming career. So for that reason, I will never be able to go as hard as those guys went in public because I would never debase myself as they did. I think that's the difference between us. They live a life without social consequences, but is that really a good thing? I think sometimes we think, well, geez, wouldn't it be nice if we could just say whatever we want, do whatever we want, and not be accountable to any social norms? Do whatever you want in life and never be embarrassed. It sounds great in theory, but then you realize there's a reason why we have a lot of these social norms. Louis C.K. found out you can't just whip your penis out and start masturbating in front of people. There will be a reckoning eventually. So my challenge is how do I win the war with cleverness and wit and guile and humor to beat this butthurt baboon bro army? So that was my weekend. (laughs) Fun. It was fun. It was fun. I am built for this. I am built for this. Why I'm different is that I enjoy this. And I'm never going to stop. Three shows, four shows, five shows. I'm never going to stop. Already, the tweeting from the, the elite mafia guru people has subsided. But I am still out here in the graveyard digging. But I need your help. As I mentioned, the subhumans in the fantasy football community were activated by this broadcast. They visited the podcast on iTunes. And in like a wave of orcs rushing down the hillside are overwhelming the show with one-star reviews on iTunes. Not even listening to the show, just rating it one star out of principle. And we are not having that. We proudly do a four and a half star show. We will never be a five star show because we're way too polarizing, but we're not a four star show either. We are a four and a half star show. And I will not allow the lowest common denominator in this space to manipulate our iTunes rating. Because if it falls to four, our show becomes more difficult to find. Odds are a bunch of you found the show on iTunes. What if it was buried and you never discovered it? Think about it. So go to iTunes now and rate the show. Rate it wherever you think it deserves. Just rate it and screen cap your rating. Email it to rotounderworld at gmail.com. The first 10 reviews that we receive in our inbox will be shipped a Roto Underworld t-shirt 
immediately. The best return on investment in the history of fantasy football apparel. So go to iTunes, search Roto Underworld Radio, rate the show right now. Hit the pause button, rate it. We'll be here when you get back. Hit the pause button, rate it. Are you driving? Pull over, rate the show. Do it for me. I rarely ask you to do anything except go to patreon.com forward slash podfather and support the show, which I ask you every week, and to go to Player Profiler and sign up for a subscription to the rankings or the data analysis, which I ask every week, and then also to just listen, rate the show, get some gear. And when you're on any player page, click on the My Bookie icon to see the player props for that player. And not only am I taking the over on receptions and receiving yards for Albert Wilson on My Bookie this week, I'm also taking the over on Jermaine Curse because Jermaine Curse runs the Quincy Anunwa route tree. You could argue he runs it just as well as Quincy Anunwa. And I'm betting Quincy Anunwa misses week seven. And Sam Darnold's development is headed in an upward trajectory. Oh, yes. I mean, I'm almost ready to call it that Sam Darnold is going to be good. We're almost there. And last week, his number one option when Quincy Nunwa went down was Jermaine Curse because that's the receiver Sam Darnold locks in on, his flanker. He loves the quick strike to the flanker. That's why Quincy Nunwa's target share at the beginning of the season was in the top five of the NFL. Well, Jermaine Curse was targeted 10 times last week by Sam Darnold. Turned that into nine receptions for 94 yards. He's playing well. Last week was not an aberration for Jermaine Curse, but because you can't necessarily play Jermaine Curse in fantasy football because you have better options at flex, you go to my bookie and you play the over on the Jermaine Curse receptions and receiving yards props. So Jermaine Curse is another player we need to talk to Eric McClung about. Let's do it. Let's do it now. Let's go talk to Eric McClung, my co-host on the Roto Underworld Game Night Show, Friday nights, 9 o'clock on Roto Grinders. And follow Eric on Twitter at Eric McClung. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. My teammate (laughs) on the Roto Underworld Game Night Show on Roto Grinders, Friday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. Eric McClung, talk to me. What's going on, Matt Kelly? Uh, excellent to be here. Uh, yeah, you are broadcasting live from the Jeff Janis Memorial Studios, That's which right. I, which I, I mean, we were, we were just so ready to go last week. I, I think I left that out of the intro. I was wearing the black suit because I was at Draft Pete Cheat's funeral. Correct. Condolences. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> that show was dedicated to him. That was a great show. Yeah, that um, I didn't see that coming. I, I thought it was uh, the funeral for Eli Manning because that had just taken place, right, on public television. So that you know, I thought that might have been the case, or uh, yeah, maybe a, a wedding or something. But yes, and it's ongoing. It continued. We had a wake and a funeral <laughs> and another funeral and a burial service. It's been great. It's been really good. Yeah, there's a whole funeral procession still, uh, still ongoing. Oh, the procession is on. Yeah, and it's amazing that Calvin Ridley brought this out into the world. I like, can't believe it. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that it was Calvin Ridley. It was Calvin Ridley versus Traquan Smith over the summer, and then it morphed into Calvin Ridley versus Tyler Boyd on the Underworld Game Night Show, and then at every turn, we're winning. Traquan Smith, over 100 yards and two touchdowns in the last game that he played. Calvin Ridley goes down last week. We don't cheer for injuries, but... 
You can't make this up. Meanwhile, Tyler Boyd is a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL. (laughs) I mean, this is just unbelievable. And when you look at the Bengals, you see Andy Dalton buoyed by one of the best supporting casts in all of football. He has Joe Mixon in the backfield and or Giovanni Bernard with Tyler Eifert and or C.J. Uzoma, who played great last week. And then at wide receiver, one of the best wide receivers in the league, the cheat code, A.J. Green, and one of the best possession receivers in the league, Tyler Boyd. There's no better example of the supporting cast-dependent quarterback in the NFL than Andy Dalton. Because in 2013, Andy Dalton was a top-five quarterback in the NFL based on the strength of his supporting cast. And this year, we're seeing Andy Dalton and Joe Flacco and now Mitchell Trubisky rising because they received a skill position upgrade in the offseason. So of the top fantasy quarterbacks, who do you think is most helped by their supporting cast? Well, yes, you do send a show sheet out in advance. And so with this particular question, Andy Dalton is exactly what I had written down. But I, would, I think you're also trying to get me to say Jared Goff here because, uh, you, you know, we're talking about the, the coach. You know, we can include that as part of the supporting cast. Well, absolutely. Yeah, the coach is part of the supporting cast. It's the offensive line. It's the wide receivers and it's the coach. And I've had to put them in order. It's receivers one, offensive line two, coaching three. That's the order. Right. But I mean, that's okay. Like, I don't think this is being like overly critical of any of these guys. Like you still have to execute, like the quarterback still has to get the ball to the receiver. Like there are. Oh no. If anything, these players have incredible upside because they have wide receivers that can win in contested situations, yak monsters that can take short passes and score touchdowns. So this is a reason to buy, not a reason to sell these quarterbacks. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think like, you know, say Derek Carr, if he was, you know, a a guy, a quarterback who I don't think is particularly great, but if we were to put him on the Rams or, uh, you know, on uh, a team like the Bengals or something like that with better receivers, uh, then yeah, I think Derek Carr's level of performance is going to go up as well. But uh, he's stuck with the enigma that is Amari Cooper and, you know, coaching that just gets worse, it seems, as time goes by. So just look at Alex Smith from 2017 to 2018. He goes from Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey and Albert Wilson, right? Albert Wilson, who we're finding out is one of the league's new yak monsters and Kareem Hunt. And then he goes to Washington where he has Adrian Peterson and Jordan Reed and Jameson Crowder and Josh Jackson. Not the same caliber of skill position weaponry. Yeah, Alex Smith is certainly yeah probably this does is probably the best answer for this question would be Alex Smith. Case Keenum, we saw how good he looked with Minnesota last year. Right? Yeah, we were talking about Case Keenum every week last year. He was a revelation because Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. Right. So now he goes to Demarius Thomas, who just is falling into the abyss. It seems. Demarius Thomas. It's just sort of like he's he's like melting. These players are in slow motion, and it's instructive for next year. If we're looking forward to 2019, when you're in your fantasy draft, you need to boost the players that have the best supporting casts above and beyond where you had been accustomed to boosting them in the past, give them an even bigger premium. Now, let's look at these ambiguous backfields around the NFL because I feel like the number of ambiguous backfields is only growing with these running back injuries. Look at 
Devontae Freeman in Atlanta. That backfield, which has been in flux for many years, it's been impossible to nail down and project the opportunity share with a high degree of certainty. Now it's even more difficult. Which of the ambiguous backfields out there is the most difficult to detangle in the NFL? I think the most sort of mind-boggling situations going on would be the Green Bay Packers you know, especially how good Aaron Jones looked early. Why not just continue to do that? Right. Is is a uh, you know a head scratcher, and also the Detroit Lions at this point. Why not just ride Carry On Johnson? Why not just give him back to back series and just you know continue to just feed this guy and see what he well, Garrett Blunt. We know. I mean, he's not long for the league. He's doesn't look good. Why don't they phase him out, Eric? Why isn't Legarrette Blunt being phased out? He's, I guess, because Patricia's from New England and Blunt was like they were successful together. So it's like I need like the lucky rabbit foot or he's like a human like I don't know. I was going to say victory cigar, but they're not really <laughs> they're not really doing that. Uh, we're uh, not really doing uh, a lot of the the winning. So um, I don't know. I don't know why why you would do that. It's sort of like when you play Madden and there's just like that player that you really, really want. And so he's just there on the roster. And it's just, hey, man, we just have to get like Eric Blunt in here. Well, think about the coaches of the two backfields you mentioned. In Green Bay with Aaron Jones, it's Mike McCarthy. And he is one of the league's dinosaur coaches who is not helping the players win games. If anything, they're winning in spite of Mike McCarthy. So do you think Aaron Jones will be unlocked at any point this season? Probably not. I mean, we're probably, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's, it's certainly possible, you know, injuries. If Jamal, you know, again, we don't cheer for injuries, but if Jamal Williams go down, it goes down. If Ty Montgomery goes down, then you kind of default, you know, by default have to give Aaron Jones the ball more often. Uh, but yeah, you know, with Mike McCarthy, it is, you know, to only, He's going, you know, probably going to only wind up with what one Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers, I believe. Yeah, that's an embarrassment. Yeah, this is like, I mean, he in terms of like the skills, Aaron Rodgers is. He's the best of all time. He's the best quarterback of all time. No quarterback has ever played the position better than Aaron Rodgers. And this is coming from someone that doesn't even like Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers could have been more loyal to Jeff Janis, elevated him, and didn't. And I'm still bitter about it. And yet. I could take a step back and say, well, this is the best quarterback that's ever played the game. Yeah. I mean, you know, Joe Montana has a phenomenal career. Tom Brady, phenomenal career. Obviously very skilled. But Aaron Rodgers, the mobility plus just the ridiculous throw. I mean, just every it's everything. Uh, I would say him and Steve Young would be like one and two in terms of the most skilled quarterbacks of all time. But they're, they don't have the best careers. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's kind of an embarrassment for sure. Look at the backfield in Green Bay the last two weeks. Jamal Williams, six carries and six carries. Ty Montgomery, four carries and four carries. They replicated the opportunity share for Williams and Montgomery in back-to-back weeks. And Aaron Jones, this is good news, Aaron Jones from week five to week six, he went from seven carries in week five to eight carries <laughs> in week six. Oh, hey, we'll oh, get there. Oh, oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We've also kind of seen this with Green Bay, especially at times when Aaron Rodgers has been injured, like lower. This isn't like the first time he's played through like knee and lower leg uh, issues. And we've seen him. He'll just go in the shotgun and just wants to throw it the whole time anyway. So. 
you know, we've seen Green Bay not really give us a whole hell heck of a lot at running back in the past. You know, Eddie, Lace, you know, when Eddie Lacy was just big and not <laughs> supersized, you know, he, he put up a good season or two there, but you know, it haven't it hasn't have has not been a whole heck of a lot since then. Yeah, of those three running backs I mentioned last week against the San Francisco 49ers in a game in which Aaron Rodgers threw the ball 46 times. He threw the ball to running backs exactly seven times. And Aaron Jones, least of all, Aaron Jones with only one target. So Jamal Williams, 10 total opportunities. Aaron Jones, nine opportunities. So Jamal Williams actually received more opportunities last week than Aaron Jones. So I would not play Aaron Jones speculating this is the week because it's Mike McCarthy. And the same is true in Detroit. Look at two weeks ago when they played Green Bay. What happened in that backfield? Kerryon Johnson, 12 carries. LeGarrette Blunt, 12 carries. The difference is Johnson went for 70 yards. Blunt went for 22. But guess who got both the touchdowns, Eric? (laughs) One guy had 5.8 yards per carry. The other guy had 1.8. Guess who scored more fantasy points? The hope is that Matt Patricia is less mummified than Mike McCarthy and that they can use the bye to install more plays for Kerryon Johnson. That's my hope. That's the argument for speculating that Kerryon Johnson will seize a a significantly bigger role in this offense this week. I think it's easier to make the case for Kerryon Johnson this week than it is Aaron Jones. Yeah, totally. I mean, we're talking about a rookie versus, you know, second-year player. So, I mean, Green Bay, this is... You know, they've had plenty of time with Aaron Jones, you know, Detroit. And Detroit's also committed to running the ball. I mean, I mentioned that they both had 12 carries. The idea that any Green Bay running back would have 12 whole carries. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 100-yard rushers is like, I mean, that that's like seeing like Sasquatch. So, yeah, it's even that's like not a common thing. But because LeGarrette Blunt's so bad, he's so slow, <laughs> that even with 24 carries between them, they could not reach a hundred yards you give Ito Smith and Tevin Coleman 24 carries they're absolutely getting to 100 yards easily but when you look at those two that's another ambiguous backfield as I mentioned should Ito Smith be ranked ahead of Tevin Coleman in season-long rankings not yet but that day could be coming and probably is coming soon I would say the day has already arrived on player profilers' seasonal rankings, by the way. I know that you're more conservative, but we're already making that call. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, I mean, as much as we've loved Tevin Coleman for several years and have kind of hoped to get the situation where he would be the lead guy, it, it these situations have come sporadically. We're fantasy wanting with Tevin Coleman. When there's not a running lane, he doesn't go anywhere. Right. Like, when, when, they, when they get him outside, it's looked really good and explosive, but... Um, Yeah, he's sort of like on a track a lot of times. Yeah, if you can get him moving on an outside zone run, he's devastating. He can gash a defense. But in all of these other run plays that are in the playbook, Ito Smith is better. That's why I think that he is going to slide seamlessly into that Devontae Freeman role. They look like similar players. You put Devontae Freeman next to Ito Smith on the football field, strikingly similar. Yeah, I like Ito Smith a lot, and I think this, I think really Atlanta should be applauded for this selection because he was not a guy that went to the combine. I wrote an article 
wrote an article for Number Fire about my top guys that uh, top players that did not get a combine invite. And Philip Lindsay and Ito Smith are both in that article. So I felt pretty good that just one hit, and now it looks like two are going to hit. Very nice. Very nice. I feel good about that. And Atlanta, this was like a fourth-round pick, right? I think Ito, right? Fourth round? Oh, they jumped up and grabbed him in the fourth round, yeah. It was Ito Smith and Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds did get a combine invite, but they were supposed to go later. But someone knew something in Arizona, and someone knew something in Atlanta. Yeah, so for Atlanta to take a non-combine dude in the fourth round, I mean, they were definitely on it here. So I, I think there was, like, after they took him, they there was some talk that they viewed him as a special team or whatnot. I don't think you take a special team's only guy in the fourth round. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a big-time college producer. And, yeah, it's, you know, hats off to Atlanta. And hopefully the NFL Combine people, whoever they are, hopefully they do better next year. Chase Edmonds, great pick. Ido Smith, great pick. And Philip Lindsay free agent signing that was the best of all all the more reason to not draft Rashad Penny in the first round when that's your only pick in the top 75 Seattle but then you look at week six you think oh Rashad Penny's banished for the season he comes back and scores a touchdown in week six was that a mirage game for Rashad Penny last week sadly yes Sadly, definitely a mirage game. A lot of the oh. carries that he got were late in the game. And, you know, you, you kind of you guys are kind of making fun of me. My where I called out the Raiders, how it was a mistake to leave for London on Thursday. And uh, they got some heat in that in the media because they, they look completely dead. And Chris Carson, who we also liked uh, on the show, he looked pretty good early and was getting yardage. And just there was no punchback from the Raiders. And they just were like dead from the beginning and Carson would have had a much bigger day if Oakland could have done anything. So just later, yeah, they, they turned a penny, just sort of a mop up kind of a situation. So yeah, total mirage. Carson is still the guy in Seattle. In fact, I think he's a buy low candidate because he didn't score a touchdown. Yeah, this is, again, it's just like, you know, we want Russell Wilson throwing the ball a lot, but it's just not what Pete Carroll wants to do. It's just not the way in Schottenheimer. It's just not what they want to do. So They'll be using Chris Carson as a workhorse for the rest of the season. I mean, like it or not, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, you talked about fantasy wanting with Tevin Coleman. That's basically what we're doing with any thoughts of Seattle becoming a pass team, which which they should be. I mean, they're, they're you know, derailing a, a Hall of Fame trajectory that russell wilson is on it's just you know it's weird and it's very weird but that's what's going to happen they want to use chris carson like marshawn lynch and he looks like marshawn lynch out there breaking tackles that's his signature skill bulldozing would be arm tacklers like marshawn lynch and speaking of marshawn lynch is it just too late to sell high on marshawn lynch who in your fantasy league is going to trade for Marshawn Lynch at this point? The trade window was last week, right? If that, I mean, I don't know if people were too like overly crazed about Marshawn Lynch. And, you know, if you had him, I think you just kind of felt good. You know, he was getting a couple of receptions some receiving yards. Like you were just kind of cruising along. You got in the end zone the first couple of games and, hey, this is sort of working out. If you did try to shop him, I just, you know, I don't know if anybody was like really like over the moon with, with Marshawn Lynch. So did you see the trade I did in the league we're in? I traded Marshawn Lynch and Amari Cooper for Tyreek Hill. Oh, goodness. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's wild. I have the power. (laughs) We start five receivers and a flex. 
My receivers are Stephon Diggs, Jarvis Landry, Keelan Cole, Tyreek Hill, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm very happy with my receivers with the exception of Jarvis Landry. Yeah, earlier you talked about quarterbacks that are being helped by their supporting cast. Probably the guy who's being hurt the most by his receivers, although Landry isn't part of that per se, but it's Baker Mayfield. He's had something like 10% of his throws drop, which is like double the league average. Antonio Callaway, I mean, you, won't, you won't take the L for Calvin Ridley, but I might have to take the L on Antonio Callaway. It's, wow. I mean, this dude is just, he's a whole nother level bad. Mayfield is suffering through all these drops, and these mainstream sports analysts, they only see the box scores. They don't see the advanced metrics. And what's their latest take? Oh, oh, well... Are we sure Baker Mayfield is actually better than Sam Darnold? It looks like Cleveland made a bad choice. Valuing the leadership intangibles of Baker Mayfield over the the young arm talent of Sam Darnold. Is that, I mean, is Sam Darnold better than Baker Mayfield? No. No, I mean, no way. It's just, and you know, that, uh, you're talking about Twitter. Yeah, that, that tweet in particular, NFL Draft Bites, I believe. That, yeah, it's pretty bad. And he actually had Josh Allen ranked ahead of Baker Mayfield. Of course he did. Of course he did. Because is a provocateur trolling the landscape for clicks and views and mentions on podcasts. And we bit. We bit. We've been hooked. Yeah, so with Baker, then there's a... Uh, there's also a tweet. It was Brown's film study, I believe, is the account. Oh, God. Ba- no, no, no. This is good. Baker puts one perfectly, literally between three defenders, like two linebackers and a, and a defensive back. Oh, yeah. You know, this is good. Oh, yeah. Sorry. This is good. Excuse me, Brown's film study. I love you. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Yeah. The receiver's running just like a crossing route. Baker puts it perfectly, literally between three defenders right in the hands, and it's just a, just an out-and-out drop. It's just... We have... It's crazy. Receiver drops on playerprofiler.com. We have receiver contested catch rate on quarterback pages. We have receiver yak. We have receiver efficiency. We have all these metrics and ratings on quarterback pages, and if they're not available on the quarterback page, they're available via data analysis, playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis, and it shows... That Baker Mayfield is who we thought he was. He is an elite quarterback who's being betrayed by his supporting cast. He's better than Sam Darnold now, and he'll be better than Sam Darnold into perpetuity. And we know this because we zoom out and we see a quarterback at Oklahoma and then earlier even at Texas Tech who is the best quarterback prospect of all time. So, no, I'm not going to overreact to a couple games in which he was betrayed by his receivers in the most brutal way possible. Antonio Callaway is the worst wide receiver in the (laughs) league by every measure, and it's not even close. I never would have thought this could be possible, but Baker Mayfield misses Rashard Higgins. The Rashard Higgins loss has been huge. You could even go back further. The Ricardo Lewis loss in training camp has been devastating for Baker Mayfield. And of course, they never gave him a chance to play with Josh Gordon. Oh, don't even get me started with Josh Gordon. They also quit on Corey Coleman. Oh, and last week, Derek Willies. Yeah. One of these anonymous wide receivers with athletic upside that the Browns stockpiled the last couple of years. He comes in. Now he's out for the year. Now the next man up is Damian Ratley. 
and I don't hate Damian Ratley. Get Damian Ratley in there. Give him heavy snaps. Start him next to Jarvis Landry. Anyone but Antonio Callaway. In deeper leagues, Damian Ratley is a sneaky pickup this week playing the Buccaneers, the league's worst secondary. You shouldn't be surprised when Damian Ratley goes out there and catches eight passes for 80 yards and a touchdown. Just You're not allowed to be surprised when that happens. Yeah, he's coming off six receptions, 82 yards. That I mean, that speaks to Baker Mayfield, where he just gets the ball to the guys you've never heard of. He literally just did what I said he might do yeah. against a better secondary last week. Yeah, and finally, they got Duke Johnson, some receptions, four receptions, 73 yards. So hopefully we see more of Duke Johnson going forward. David Njoku is happening under Baker Mayfield. He scored a touchdown. Well, I think that's the silver lining in all this. As his receivers just collapse around him, there's David Njoku rising up. There's Duke Johnson rising up, waving a hand. Hey, Baker, I'm open. And let's also remember in Hugh Jackson's infinite wisdom, Baker Mayfield did not get a single practice opportunity with the first team in OTAs, in training camp, at any time during the preseason, at any time during the regular season. So this is the guy that you draft number one, and he doesn't even get to throw the ball to Jarvis Landry in practice situations leading up to his rookie season. That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But yeah, with Baker, if you go to player profiler, already 19 deep ball attempts as charted by player profiler, already eight money throws as charted by player profiler. So this is a guy who is, I mean, he's Sam Darnold. You look at the a lot of these charts, a lot of this stuff is pretty simple, intermediate line of scrimmage type of throws. Baker Mayfield is pushing the ball down the field. That's the difference. Unfortunately, Antonio Callaway is either not looking for the ball, he's tripping and falling, or he's dropping like 40-yard touchdowns. Yeah, according to Pro Football Focus, Rashard Higgins was the Browns' best deep threat in quotes, and I objected to that. Just because Rashard Higgins happened to be the most efficient Browns wide receiver on passes greater than 20 yards doesn't mean you call him a deep threat. It's six catches, okay? Six catches does not make one a deep threat. When you go to playerprofiler.com, you don't see a deep threat. When you go to playerprofiler.com, you see a possession receiver. That's what Rashard Higgins actually is. Just because he got loose deep a handful of times and didn't drop the ball like Antonio Callaway does not make Rashard Higgins a deep threat pro football focus. He runs a 4.64 with a 112.4 10th percentile burst score. This is not someone that you would ever put in a field stretcher role in the NFL. Ratley, on the other hand, he absolutely looks like a deep threat. I'm excited about Damian Ratley. He doesn't have the college dominance because he played behind Josh Reynolds and Christian Kirk at Texas A&M. Think about it. He was the third receiver at Texas A&M. So he's like the Jerron Brown of the NFL. Did not produce because Jerron Brown was behind Sammy Watkins and Martavis Bryant and DeAndre Hopkins. Similar story for Damian Ratley, but you look at the athleticism. He has Jerron Brown's athletic profile. Runs a 4-4, 126.6 burst score. So this is a guy that has deep threat measurables, and he's the most efficient wide receiver on the Browns. According to Pro Football Focus, if they're okay just using eight targets as a sample size, well, Damian Ratley's the Browns' best possession receiver. It's not Jarvis Landry. <laughs> That's the problem with hyper-local, homer-based sports analysis. If you're covering the Browns, 
Your focus needs to be on Antonio Callaway. How do we upgrade from Antonio Callaway to literally anyone else? Because he's an atrocity. <laughs> yeah, that about sums it up. The other things that jump out, though, on Baker's page on Player Profiler, air yards per attempt, uh, 13th in the league, deep ball completion, despite some of those drops, 12th in the league. Really? That's amazing to me. And receiver target at separation is ninth. So Baker is throwing these guys open, finding guys that are open. Once these ball and you take a look at the next four weeks, I mean Baker Mayfield, he's going to catch fire at week nine. Yeah, yeah, the schedule really softens up for Baker Mayfield the rest of the way. Yeah, we've got Tampa this week, and then I mean I don't know if people like are really aware of what's happening week nine. Patrick Mahomes against Baker Mayfield. We talked, and I totally agree. Baker Mayfield is the greatest quarterback prospect there's ever been. Patrick Holmes is not very far behind at all and has looked absolutely phenomenal. And when these two guys, the reason Baker left Texas Tech was because Patrick Mahomes was there. So we're going to have a Texas Tech-Oklahoma shootout at the professional level. It'll be 51-50. Yeah, so they, yeah, they met in college, total fireworks show. They're going to meet in the pros. Guess what? Total fireworks show. And if the Chiefs and the Browns continue to rise and, and Mayfield and Mahomes are exactly who we think they are, this is the next Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, AFC, you know, tight, you know, clash of the Titans quarterback situation that we're going to have for the next decade or so. These are teams that are going to be throwing down year after year in the playoffs. And Matt, just clear your schedule. Week nine, Mayfield, Mahomes. This is this. I mean, this is a big, big deal if you're in, if you're into professional football cancel all your plans make sure you're in front of the tv watching this game this is like the first of many many big time showdowns this might be the first full game i watch since the super bowl <laughs> it's it, for me it is it's like a personal super bowl this game i mean these are two quarterback prospects that i absolutely loved and yeah it's they're they're in good situations and i think it's just going to keep getting better so the last time Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield faced off. It was in Lubbock, Texas. Oklahoma won 66-59. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That, and the Chiefs defense, and we've seen the Browns give up plenty of times. Baker Mayfield, 25 for 36. We completed 27 passes for 545 yards. Oh, my goodness. And seven touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes was 52 for 88 for 734 yards and five touchdowns. Wow. <laughs> How many NFL receivers were in that game, I wonder? Because <laughs> Baker broke his own, the college passer efficiency rating, whatever it's called. He broke it again. Like he's, He broke Russell Wilson's record as a junior and then shattered it again as a senior. Yeah, Baker Mayfield was playing with Joe Mixon and Didi Westbrook. Patrick Mahomes was playing with Kiki QT. So he did have like the fully armed Oklahoma Sooners. It was just a fun game. I want to go back and watch that game before I watch Browns Chiefs. I'm excited, man. You're getting me fired up to watch football for the first time since the Super Bowl, Eric. Wow. Thank you. That's amazing. I mean, Matt Kelly will not be publicly shamed into watching NFL games, but if I throw two of the best quarterback prospects we've seen since like Andrew Luck, now he's in. So you're welcome, America. And the idea that Sam Darnold is a superior prospect or in any way is a superior NFL player to Baker Mayfield. Get the fuck out of here. 
That's crazy. I mean, I don't know if he's better than Josh Rosen. I mean, I think Rosen's definitely looked way better than we've seen in the box score. There's a conversation between Rosen and Darnold. There's no fucking conversation between Darnold and Mayfield. I was going to say we haven't seen Lamar Jackson, but we just did see a big run from him. Uh, but we haven't seen him like actually really playing the game. Uh, Flacco's looked pretty decent. So yeah, If you're in a dynasty league, you need to go get Baker Mayfield this week. This is the buy window for Baker Mayfield in Dynasty. After this week, I'm afraid that window going to close. Next four weeks is just, it's just going to go up. You got to get him in Dynasty now. It's now or never. Yeah, this is like Apple, Google stock. This is what it's going to be in like four weeks. <laughs> we go from the Mayfield-Mahomes dichotomy to Smallwood Clement in Philadelphia. <laughs> oh, geez. I just got a Smallwood coming down off of that. That's... Wow. Yeah, it's I mean, it's ugly. The Eagles uh, backfield situation. I guess it's Clement. I mean, I don't know when he's healthy. He's he's better, I guess, is really all you can say. It's not it's not great. Well, Smallwood's more athletic and Clement's more skilled. Yeah. Clement's a better receiver. I think Smallwood's more explosive between the tackles. So in that way, Smallwood's more like Tevin Coleman. Clement's more like Devontae Freeman, Ito Smith. So I lean Clement for the same reasons I lean Ito Smith, but I'm just not interested in the 50-50 committees. I'm not no. pushing all my fab dollars to the middle of the table to get either Smallwood or Clement. Yeah, it's Clement, his profile, you would never think that he would be like a receiving option. But he is. It's weird. In college, Corey Clement did not look the part of a satellite back in the NFL, but that's what he is. He's a pumped up satellite back in the NFL and good for him. But the reason I'm a lot more excited about Ito Smith is because if anything happens to Tevin Coleman, then Ito Smith becomes a top 10 running back in fantasy football. His ceiling's that high in that Atlanta offense. Smallwood and Clement will never rise to dominate a backfield. They're just not good enough. They're not skilled enough to become RB1s regardless of how many other running backs disintegrate around them. Because if Clement goes down, they'll elevate Josh Adams, right? And so on and so on down the list. In a vacuum, these players are not good enough to carry a backfield. But Ito Smith absolutely is. Yeah, and that can happen, I mean, as soon as next year, if they let, uh, well, they're going to let Tevin Coleman go as a free agent. And then they could also cut Freeman. They can get out of Freeman's contract next year, and Tevin Coleman is an unrestricted free agent. So it is on for Edo Smith in Dynasty. He's another player like Baker Mayfield. you got to get him in Dynasty now before whoever has him, if it's not you, realizes what they have. Similar to Matt Breida a couple weeks ago. I think that most Dynasty owners now know what they have in Matt Breida, that he could very well be the future of that backfield with Kyle Shanahan. That's very exciting. So you're not going to be able to trade for Matt Breida for anything less than a godfather offer, most likely. But now, in steps Raheem Mostert. Both Mostert and Matt Breida comp to Daryl Richardson on playerprofiler.com. But why is Matt Breida the superior player if they both comp to Daryl Richardson? Oh, that's a... that's a Eric, this is where you speak words in English. <laughs> The reason is because Matt Breida's dominator rating was significantly diminished by one of the most disappointing final seasons for a college running back. 
because after his junior year at Georgia Southern, Matt Breida was one of the few small school running backs to be a Doak Walker finalist. That's because he went out and rushed for over 1,600 yards, 17 touchdowns, and then he followed that up with 646 yards and three touchdowns. He went from 7.9 yards per carry to 3.8 yards per carry. One of the most mysterious face plants in the history of college football. That's why Matt Breida's dominator rating was reduced so low that he becomes comparable to Daryl Richardson and Raheem Mostert. But when you zoom out and look at the full picture and look at Matt Breida's full college resume, you'll see that he's not actually a close comp to Daryl Richardson, that in the case of Matt Breida, there just isn't a running back in the NFL that is a close comp for him. But Richardson and Mostert are close comparables because neither were dominant college running backs, and both are undersized and incredibly explosive. So that's the difference, really. It's the Kristen Michael corollary that if you cannot point to a season where you establish yourself as a true workhorse, that is a glaring red flag on a running back's prospect profile. Yeah, I'm bringing these up side by side on player profile. The workout metrics are like eerily similar between these two guys. It is weird, but the reason why Brita is so much better is because in his first season at Georgia Southern, the offense ran through him. Yeah, he had 542 collegiate carries in only th- in three seasons. Most Sturt, if you, if you take a look at his rushing attempts by year, 16, 16, 11, and then pops all the way up to a massive 93 carries. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't supplant Akeem Hunt, who is the backup to the backup to the backup in Houston. Akeem Hunt could not supplant Alfred Blue in Houston, and Raheem Mostert couldn't usurp him at Purdue. That's why Raheem Mostert is not a threat to Matt Breida when healthy. The reason you pick up Mostert is because Matt Breida could get hurt. Matt Breida has been hurt. He's been playing hurt, and he could become more hurt, just like what happened to Devontae Freeman last week. That's the reason you go take a flyer on Mostert. But if I'm out here taking flyers on running backs, I'd rather take a flyer on Smallwood and Clement than Mostert. Yeah, Mostert is on his one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh NFL team since 2015. So he is uh, well traveled and not a lot of time. So, and what's so concerning about Mostert is, even though he looks the part of an explosive space back, his college target share was only 5.1 percent, 24th percentile. So if the target share were higher. I'd be a lot more excited about Mostert because then it could be a thunder and lightning situation where Matt Breed is like the little thunder and then Mostert is the lightning. But I don't see a target magnet in Raheem Mostert's range of outcomes. No, he is he is no threat to Kyle Juszczyk as the best receiving back in the 49ers backfield, that's for sure. <laughs> that's the other issue, is that he can't siphon targets away from Kyle Juszczyk. So what is he? He's a backup to Matt Breida. That's what he is. So I'm not as excited about Raheem Mostert as the comps on player profiler might suggest I should be. Now, what about Amari Cooper? What the fuck? Oof. (laughs) Eric, 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 Amari Cooper, Amari Cooper. Yeah. Eric, here's my question about Amari Cooper. Yes. What the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck indeed? It's... What the fuck, man? And now he's concussed. It's bad. It's real bad. It's too late to sell low. Remember when I traded Lynch and Cooper for Hill? That was the window. Mm -hmm. Cooper was coming off a WR2 week, 
Lynch was an RB1 that week, and that's when I traded them both. Why? Because I want to get as far away from John Gruden players as possible. Yeah, I mean, remember, it was like Gruden, Amari's going to be the guy. We're going to move him around. He's going to be on the outside. He's going to be in the slot. We're going to do like everything possible to get Amari the ball. And yeah, it never came, <laughs> never came to fruition. Derek Carr, like I said, they're doing everything they can to get Jordy Nelson the ball. I guess, yeah. Derek Carr is not good. John Gruden's not good. I mean, this has just a, been a complete predictable disaster. But this year, when targeted, Amari Cooper has been good. That's the conundrum. That the true catch rate, his reception rate on catchable passes, has been in the top twenty all season. And he's been top 20 in target separation. So he's been creating separation and he's been squeezing the football when the ball arrives. It's just that he's not getting targeted this year. So I still think there's hope for Amari Cooper. I'm not out on Amari Cooper. If anything, I'm going to put some feelers out there to see if I can buy low on Amari Cooper in Dynasty. But in seasonal leagues, fuck out of here. Yeah, I mean, the other the other things on player profiler for the yeah, Amari Cooper profiler uh profile rather that you could take away with and, and be somewhat impressed with fourth in yards after the catch that's not too bad and the Raiders Raiders are top 10 in pass attempts so well think about the metrics that are quarterback agnostic it's target separation it's yards after the catch these are things that the wide receivers do on their own without the help of the quarterback and across those metrics Amari Cooper ranks highly this year. Yeah, fifth in cushion, so defenders are certainly respecting him as well. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, we've seen seen and heard this for a while, just, you know, how teams, kind of like what we saw last week with Stefan Diggs, where they're going to put the Patrick Peterson or whoever their top guy is. And, you know, Amari, unfortunately, has not won a lot of those particular head-to-heads. But, you know, in these other games, then, yeah, we've seen when those targets do come, he's been successful. And you know, we certainly got some numbers to go on that will tell you that, yeah, defenses are certainly concerned about him. And, and when he gets the ball, he's going to do something with it. So, um, yeah, hopefully just <laughs> – hopefully he's okay, first of all, after this concussion. And if Derek Carr can elevate his game just at least to, like, a league average level, then, yeah, Amari will, will take off at least a little bit here, recoup a little value. Do you know why the Oakland Raiders are having a hard time paying their players? Why they're trading Khalil Mack and now fielding offers for Amari Cooper? Uh, well, if you want, what I think is the real answer is, I mean, Mark Davis is a multimillionaire, sure, but he is playing a game in a league full of billionaires. That's right. And it's just, it's, and with this heavy commitment that he has to Gruden, you know, 10 years, what, 100 million, does, does he actually have the money, like the upfront money that the cash flow that it takes to, you know, give the Khalil Max, the Amari Coopers, all these kind of guys? That's why they had to trade Khalil Mack. It wasn't a question of if they're going to trade Khalil Mack. It was when because they simply did not have the money to pay him like the franchise edge rusher that he is. He was never going to stay in Oakland because Mark Davis is cash poor. He is a legacy owner who is not nearly as wealthy as his contemporaries in the league. And when you sign a player like Khalil Mack to a $100 million contract, with guaranteed money in the future, for every dollar you're guaranteeing him in the future, you have to put a percentage of that in escrow per the collective bargaining agreement. And if you don't have the cash flow to put that money in escrow, you simply can't sign a player like Khalil Mack to a max contract. They do not have the money to pay players. If you're an Oakland Raiders fan, this is devastating. 
You can't win if your owner can't compete for max players. Imagine if this was an NBA owner, right? Imagine a scenario in the NBA where LeBron James wants to come to your team, but your owner doesn't have enough money to pay him. You have no ability to sign players to max contracts. You can't be competitive. And that's the reason why Derek Carr will not be an Oakland Raider for long. It's just going to be John Gruden making all the money with a nickel and dime roster going 4-12 every year until he's fired. <laughs> yeah, if Mark Davis wanted to buy a professional team like at any level, NFL or otherwise, he'd get laughed out of the room. Mark Davis couldn't buy an Arena League team at this point. Donald Trump didn't have enough money to buy the Buffalo Bills a couple years ago. You know, the NFL laughed him out of the room. Mark Davis certainly would not be getting an NFL team today if that were the case. Yeah, as for Derek Carr, I believe there's a decent out in his contract after this season where they could cut him and it wouldn't be particularly devastating. So, yeah, at some point next year, there will be no Khalil Mack, no Derek Carr, no Amari Cooper in a Raiders uniform. But guess who's going to be on the sideline? Shucky! Absolutely. Uh, in Vegas, no less. So, yeah, it's going to be a real party. Uh, <laughs> but it's amazing how fans so quickly after Khalil Mack is traded, well, he wanted too much money. Well, it was going to kill the salary cap. Well, this is just an automatic default defense for the team. And if you take a look at the salary cap or if you listen to anybody that really knows anything, like Andrew Brandt, who ran the cap for the Packers, he said this is in no way a salary cap issue. Realistically, you can afford 10, about 10 stars on your team and be within the cap because half your roster is going to be rookies anyway who are going to be gone in three and four years at the most. So you're always turning over about half your roster. Well, 20 stars, is that's a lot. That's the Rams' plan, right? Rams are trying to max out the 10-star rule, right? Well, also take a look at the Minnesota Vikings because they have, they're paying the quarterback. They have Kirk Cousins on a big contract, but they've, you know, they've uh, given multiple years to Thielen, to Diggs, I believe, and numerous key defenders. Oh, the Thielen contract is the best contract in the NFL. Right. So if you want to take a look at a way that you can structure the cap and keep your stars and pay the high-end quarterback, take a look at what the Minnesota Vikings are doing. They're doing it the right way. The Raiders could do it. However, as we've talked about, Mark Davis. Yeah, Mark Davis is relatively poor. That's the biggest problem the Oakland Raiders have. Their owner is relatively poor. He's not poor by our standards. No. <laughs> He's poor by NFL owner standards. Yeah, he, he could buy playerprofiler.com for Matt Kelly, but he's not going to buy an NFL team. <laughs> We're not for sale. I'm not sure Mark Davis can like operate a smartphone, so I don't think he's aware of what player profiler is. So, well, You talked about Adam Thielen and his team-friendly contract. Any chance Adam Thielen is better than Stephon Diggs? Oh, well, I mean, he's definitely been better. But is he better because Stephon Diggs is shielding him from opposing number one cornerbacks? Well, the, that's exactly what I mentioned earlier. Yeah, with with Patrick Peterson, um, you know, occupied by Stephon Diggs, that just lets you know Adam Thielen just run wild. So, yeah, you're, you're always you know the outside, the best outside wide receiver usually is going to get matched up on the best outside cornerback, and, and Diggs has been plenty productive. You know, we don't uh, you know this isn't like a knock on Stephon Diggs, but when you're Adam Thielen and you're 
have the skills that Adam Thielen has and you're running wild in the slot. And some of these teams, they don't know what they're doing in the slot. Sometimes they've got these flat-footed linebackers and safeties or they've got like their six-string corner is, is playing the, the you know nickel and dime packages and all this. Like It's much easier to get mismatched in the slot. And when you're Adam Thielen, you know, you're not this, this scrawny little speedster. You know, you're this the behemoth who, who's got size. And he's just like the perfect guy to put into that role. Uh, so it's just even if it's a good slot corner, Adam Thielen is is always going to be a mismatch. He's going to eat him up. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's always a mismatch for Adam Thielen, and it's just it's just a perfect setup. It, it's it's hilarious that Kirk Cousins, you know, like the copy and paste, like the the paint by number analysis that's so lazy that we see in the offseason. Kirk Cousins. Can't support a wide receiver one. Can't support a wide receiver one. Well, now he's got two, including the number one receiver. Was that real analysis? Yes. Fantasy analysts actually said that out loud, where it can be recorded, like in front of a microphone where people can hear them. Uh, I know there's tweets. I'm sure it's been said on podcasts as well. Oh, my. On Twitter? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. They put that out there in a public medium? Sure. I mean, there's there's hype for, like, Kyle Rudolph because, hey, like, he threw a bunch of touchdowns to, to Jordan Reed. Kirk Cousins can't support a WR1? What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, he got 1,000-yard seasons out of, like, a 30-yard Garcon and a 30-yard Deshaun Jackson. He's had big seasons with, like, James. the only time, like, Jameson Crowder really ever did anything. <laughs> Went, like, over 800 yards. That was Kirk Cousins, uh, Jordan Reed, big touchdown season. That's Kirk Cousins. Like, Kirk Cousins is just such an underrated guy. It's just amazing that like people have dogged this guy for multiple years. He's he's really good. Yeah, I had Mike Tagliere from Fantasy Pros on the podcast arguing that Adam Thielen should be ranked outside the top 20 because it would be a run-oriented offense in Minnesota. But with Kirk Cousins, that was never going to happen. Yeah, we've seen the defense you know, collapse at times. They've, you know, they have had a lot of injuries. Uh, even if Cook was healthy, the, the offensive line has eroded. You know, it, it kind of popped back up a little bit last year, but it's kind of back to the way it was two years ago when it was just dreadful. So even if Cook was healthy, who even knows if he'd be <laughs> performing all that well? Well, that's the danger of projecting players for full seasons based on the strength of an unrelated unit, arguing that because the Vikings have a quality defense, you need to upstack the running back and push the wide receivers down the rankings. That's bad process. Yeah, I think that's a trap we get into a lot where it's like, yeah, the the defense is so good that the quarterback's not going to throw a lot. And sure, that does happen, but you're just making like a really big assumption. And if you made if you made that assumption with Elon Diggs, Cousins, so many defenses are so fleeting in Jacksonville. Yeah, there's a great example there. I mean, one injury to Jalen Ramsey, the cornerstone of the defense, and the entire structure collapses. Now, in Carolina, the one consistent option in that passing game for the last two seasons has been Devin Funches. And last week he was at it again, led the team in targets, 74 yards and a touchdown. All he does is produce. Why is he so underrated? (laughs) Uh, I mean, there's a number of reasons why people haven't liked Devin Funches and are slow to come around. Just because he's slow? Is that it? Just he's slow? You know Keenan Allen's slow, right? Yeah, I didn't even mention. Uh, yeah, I was sort of making a lot of fantasy gamers love Keenan Allen. Sure, and he, and Defunches is actually faster than we think he is because his pro day forty was way better than like the dreadful combine that That's he right. put up. That's right. But I think there was also a lot of. I mean, it took him two years to really get going. Oh no! Well, I'm, I'm just saying why people are slow to come around. I'm just answering your question. 
Uh, you know, there's this, is he coming out of college? I'm erecting a straw man here. Okay. <laughs> yes, I want you to parrot the bad analysis so I can just knock it down, stand over it and laugh at it. Yeah, all right, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to stuff the straw like down my shirt and put the hat on and then you just throw the matches on me. That's right. That's what I'm trying to do. That's right. That's right. Because Devin Funches is not a trash can. That's what I've heard. Oh, Devin Funches is a trash can. Devin Funches is a trash can. Devin Funches is a trash can. Devin Funches is not a trash can. No. Nah. You know what Devin Funches is? He's good. Devin Funches is a cash can. Ooh, cash can. I like that. Yeah, he's because I just play him in cash on DFS. He's always under 6K, and he almost always comes through. Yeah, the only problems, like, I mean, what you're, you know, going back to the original question, like, he's not a guy that hits 100 yards very often. We'd love to get that bonus, especially Wah. on DraftKings. <laughs> but yeah, the, the slow forty, the slow forty time, which actually isn't that slow when you look at the pro day. There was the whole is he a tight end, is he a receiver thing coming out as well. The two years it took, and I think I think most of all, most of all, because he was compared so much to Calvin Benjamin. He's Calvin Benjamin two He's a poor man's Calvin Benjamin. He's a rich man's Calvin Benjamin. Calvin Benjamin everything Calvin Benjamin, and Calvin Benjamin has just been so horrible. That like that stink, even though he's off the roster, <laughs> that stink is still on Devin Funches and he just can't, you know, he just can't get it off him. Yeah. Kelvin Benjamin body odor. That should be the name of the show. Kelvin Benjamin body. Odor. It's not going to be because we want a more uplifting title than that for the show. But I like Kelvin Benjamin body odor as a show title. You know, who went over 100 yards last week. Albert Wilson. Is he the new number one receiver in Miami? And does that even matter? Yeah, I guess. Sure. Um, well, he's not according to the snap shares. According to snap shares, he logged the third most snaps last week, but there's a snap share fallacy. He's on the field when they're throwing the ball, and that's all that matters. Yeah, his snaps have been weird. That, that game where, um, what, Jakeem Grant went off, and they, they one of them threw a touchdown to the other or whatever. There's, like, all these crazy it, – it's amazing. Like, Miami just, like, pops up with, like, these – it even goes back to like the, that Wildcat game against New England. Like they just come up with these like these weird, crazy games with crazy plays and big scores, like once or twice a year, and then they're just complete trash. Like the rest of the season, it's very weird. And now we've got Brock Osweiler, who I think I saw a stat where his la- like the last three teams he's played for, his first start has all been against the Bears, and he's beat the Bears like each time. What? There's this weird thing with Brock Osweiler going on. But it's not going to continue. We know how bad this dude is. So, no, I don't think it really matters. Is it Stills? Is it Wilson? Is it Daniel Mandola? They say don't chase Yak, right? Don't chase Yak. Don't chase Yak. Air yards are stickier than Yak yards. I get it, right? But in the case of Albert Wilson, all he's done is finished near the top of the league in yards after the catch per target. Every year, he's been in the NFL. He's the next Golden Tate. And when you watch him play, he reminds you of Golden Tate. He looks like fast Jarvis Landry in a Dolphins uniform. And there's no reason for them to stop feeding him. They're going to keep feeding him and feeding him and feeding him. Listen, you give Danny Amendola 11 targets last week, he turns that into 59 yards. You give Wilson nine targets, he turns it into 155 yards. Guess how many targets Kenny Stills got last week? Not a lot. Two. <laughs> how many targets for Devontae Parker? Was he even active? I don't know. Where, where's he been? <laughs> One. One for Parker, two for Stills. The problem is the quarterback. You can't trust Albert Wilson in cash games in DFS, and he's a difficult player to start in seasonal leagues because that means you're trusting Brock Osweiler. 
And there's one thing that I'm never going to do in the NFL. It's trust a vampire to deliver fantasy points for his wide receivers. No way. Unless it's a night game. <laughs> That's the next headshot. I guess we need to update on um, player profiler is Brock Osweiler. Robert Pattison from Twilight. Need to, yes, please, Eric, swap out Brock Osweiler and put in Robert Pattison from Twilight. Will do. Uh, but even, I mean, even when Tannehill is in there, like it's still Ryan Tannehill. So it's, you know, it's still not great, but I, I like that gold, the golden Tate comp. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, Tate was a guy who was really kind of underappreciated when he was in Seattle. And once he got into a situation, you know, a good coach, you know, good, decent coaching, decent, uh, well above an average quarterback with Stafford, you really saw those skills get to, to use. So What's missing with Wilson is Stafford. If you told me Stafford was the Dolphins quarterback, I'd be a lot more interested. It's just like with Chester Rogers. Chester Rogers has been the de facto number one receiver the last couple weeks, but his quarterback is Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck's not pushing the ball downfield, but at least he's throwing the ball more than any other quarterback in the league. He's number one in pass attempts. But Chester Rogers is near the top of the league in drops and drop rate. You look at these devastating drops for Chester Rogers. I mean, it's right on his hands and just, is he breaking out despite egregious drops? Have you ever seen that? Because Antonio Callaway hasn't been able to get away with it. Somehow Chester Rogers is getting away with it. Yeah, it's it's unusual. Uh, Rogers actually has a lot of yards after catch. So that's I'm just looking at his profile right now. He's 14th in yards after catch. So I guess when he does hold on to it, yeah, he's at least moving down the field. I think that's why Luck keeps going back to him, that he's not as demoralized throwing to Chester Rogers as you might think because he's seen what Chester Rogers can do in practice. And on the football field, when Chester Rogers does secure the pass, he ends up taking the ball a long way because he has that 80th percentile agility score he can get around defenders in space and make things happen Andrew Luck knows that but I'm only interested in playing Chester Rogers in any format if he's going to be the de facto number one option if T.Y. Hilton is active you can't play Chester Rogers can you I mean it's you'd rather Hilton be out but it does look like he had a full practice uh today as we record on Wednesday so it it definitely looks like T.Y. Hilton is coming back so I guess T.Y. Hilton is trending towards playing, which means you can't play Chester Rogers, and it's just easier to not play him knowing how inefficient he's been thus far. If he went out and secured a bunch of those passes that he actually dropped and went over 100 yards last week, for example, and had one of these sublime breakout performances, because he's had double-digit targets the last two weeks. Well, 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 it'd be harder to get off him when T.Y. Hilton is activated, but these egregious drops actually make it easier to just pivot off the guy that helped us last week in DFS. He was a cornerstone player in cash games, de facto number one option under 5K on DraftKings and allows you to roster a Todd Gurley and cha-ching. Yeah, Rodgers, yeah, it started off, he had like, I think he dropped like the first two passes off the bat, and then, yeah, he kind of bailed everybody out late with a touchdown, so, but hey, that's fine. (laughs) And it was a yak touchdown, where he just caught the ball over the middle and just started running toward the pylon, and referee's arms went up in the air. That's what Brandon Cook should have done in the Super Bowl. Go to the pylon, Brandon! (laughs) What are you doing? This isn't Kung Fu! But with with Rodgers, I think I might still hold on to him for you know another week or two. Ebron has been really really banged up. Um, he can he continues to perform, but Ebron's been on the injury report with like four or five different things. So 
if he were to go down and 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 uh and Doyle still if he's still not available he's definitely not gonna play this week then that kind of opens things back up for Chester Rogers oh yeah I would play Chester Rogers if Eric Ebron's out and Jack Doyle's out for sure I just can't play Chester Rogers in a traditional seasonal league in flex, for example, if T.Y. Hilton's playing and Eric Ebron's playing, because that pushes him down to the number three option on that target totem bowl. And no thank you. But even in the number three, but even as the number three receiver, it's the highest volume offense in the league. So Andrew Luck can support three fantasy viable wide receivers as long as he's going to lead the league in pass attempts. Yeah, he would need to keep throwing. You know, problem this week, you know, Buffalo, you know, do they put him away, you know, early? I don't know. Buffalo's defense has also been really good. Week eight at Oakland, hey, that's pretty good. You have to, you'd have to hold them on the week nine bye. And then coming out of that, they face Jacksonville, intimidating defense. So two matchups that aren't particularly great. Plus you have to, you know, plus he has to take up a space on a bye week. So yeah, these next four weeks. It's hard to drop him though, because you see that Oakland game coming next week. It's hard to drop Chester Rogers. Yeah, you're in yeah, a bit of a bit of a tricky spot. If you do drop him and you need to pick up a wide receiver for this week, you could do a lot worse than Jermaine Curse. Is he a free square wide receiver this week? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> all right, correct answer sound effect for Eric McClung. That's all we needed, Eric. That's yeah. That's too easy. Uh, yeah, forty one hundred dollars on DraftKings. Uh, Quincy Nuna, unfortunately, a, a player profiler uh, guy <laughs> that you targeted a long time ago. We love Quincy Nunwa, but Quincy Nunwa runs the same route tree as Jermaine Curse. And as we talked about, this is where Sam Darnold likes to throw the football, short intermediate routes. That's Jermaine Curse territory. Now, better chance of breaking out this year: Ronald Jones or Nick Chubb? Uh, I mean, if they were given the opportunities, it's definitely Nick Chubb because Nick Chubb is good. Ronald Jones is not good. So do you think the Cleveland Browns will phase out Carlos Hyde? No, but it doesn't seem like Tampa, maybe if they fire their coach, which seems almost inevitable, maybe Ronald Jones will eventually. Well, here's my take. I don't think there's a significant difference between Carlos Hyde and Peyton Barber. I think Carlos Hyde is moderately overrated and Peyton Barber is moderately underrated. But I think that there is a chasm between Nick Chubb and Ronald Jones. Nick Chubb is the far superior player, and the Cleveland Browns have a better running game than the Buccaneers do. The Buccaneers are a pass-first attack. The Browns want to be balanced. For all those reasons, if you're going to stash one of these explosive rookie running backs for the second half, it's got to be Nick Chubb. It's not Ronald Jones. And as we mentioned, it's not Rashad Penny. I can see the Browns phasing out Carlos Hyde as the season goes along just because Nick Chubb's simply better. And for whatever reason, they're interested in winning football games this year in Cleveland. It would have been nice if they could have tanked one more season, but they're not doing that. Well, I mean, they didn't want to play Baker Mayfield to start the season, so maybe they were. They, were, they might have been tanking. It's the most schizophrenic tank, non-tank, tank, non-tank strategy for a football team I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, they retained Hugh Jackson. That's all you got to know. Now, what about Sony Michelle? He's already breaking out. They've already phased out Rex Burka. They put him in IR. But is he game script dependent? Is he essentially an explosive LeGarrette Blunt? 
I think he is a little bit game script dependent, but that's okay because New England wins a lot of games. So right. that's okay. Let's say you're a running back, Eric, and you're game script dependent. Right. You would want to play on a team like the Los Angeles Rams or the New England Patriots. And where does Sony Michelle play? He, uh, he was a first round draft pick by the New England Patriots. Thank you. <laughs> Last year, when Deion Lewis essentially became the featured back for New England, uh, he wasn't targeted very much either. And nobody had any issues with <laughs> with winning fantasy matchups with Deion Lewis at the end of last year. So this is totally fine with Sony Michelle. So let's say you try to trade for Sony Michelle, didn't work out, too much hype. Give me another running back that you can target and trade. I'm very excited about the usage that we saw from Duke Johnson in the passing game last week. And I think owners might be ready to get out. And like I said before, these next four weeks for Baker Mayfield are really, really nice. So if with all these wide receiver injuries, plus Antonio Callaway, uh, who we've bemoaned uh, at length here, throwing the ball to Duke Johnson looks more and more attractive. So let's go with that. I think David Johnson, I think owners might be trying to get out from there. His, his schedule gets easier. As I mentioned with with Rosen, we've seen him be pretty good. And if he starts to piece this together, his, his connection with Christian Kirk looks pretty legit. Their defense gets a lot of pressure. So, you know, there's some things that could turn around a little bit here for Arizona, even if they don't run a lot of plays and whatnot. And, and we're just not going to see that receiving game usage from David Johnson. But if you just bring him down and say he's he's a good, you know, running back, too, and you trade for him at that cost, then I think that's OK. And you can trade for Karrion Johnson. Really, any Johnson will do. As long as you're going out and acquiring Johnsons, then you're doing a great job. So Eric and I agree that you just need to go out there and just grab as many Johnsons as you can in fantasy football. Focus on the Johnsons. Once you turn this podcast off, your singular goal should be grabbing Johnsons. Just don't stop until you've grabbed as many Johnsons as you possibly can. Find that lead mate and grab his Johnson. He just get a <laughs> Eric, don't be perverted. Oh, good lord. I think LaShawn McCoy is a buy low candidate. Absolutely. Because uh, that the Buffalo defense is really good. And as long as they're like within a score or two, we've seen the last two weeks, LaShawn McCoy is going to get the ball a lot. Sneaky. Sneaky buy low on LaShawn McCoy. You can also trade for Marlon Mack. He's seamlessly seized the lead back, the primary back role in Indianapolis without a fight from Jordan Wilkins. So I'm happy to trade for Marlon Mack. You can get him as a throw-in. Peyton Barber, you can get as a throw-in because Peyton Barber is still the primary back in Tampa and they score a lot of touchdowns. So I think that Peyton Barber has a number of touchdowns in his future for the rest of the season. Yeah, I wouldn't mind getting Naheem Hines if if the if uh, that owner is concerned about, you know, Mac coming back and they're looking to get out from Hines. I don't mind that. You know, we talked about Indianapolis, they throw the ball more than anybody and he's he's you know, a really good receiving back, so I wouldn't mind acquiring him either. These are good buy low candidates. My favorite buy high candidate is absolutely James Conner. You need to go mm. out and get James Conner because the specter of Le'Veon Bell returning is everywhere in fantasy football. The James Conner owner may believe that his time is about to be up and trade him for not 50 cents on the dollar, 10 cents on the dollar. But anything can happen. Le'Veon Bell hasn't played football in close to 10 months. Think about it. Would you be surprised if in his first practice back, Le'Veon Bell 
pulls a hamstring? No, I mean, he was a slow starter. He, I mean, he held out a long time all throughout the offseason last year and looked kind of sluggish in his first game back. Didn't get hurt, and, and his performance picked up from there. But, yeah, we, we've seen that happen. There's no guarantee Le'Veon Bell is coming back for Week 8. There's no guarantee he's going to be productive starting in Week 8. And there's no guarantee he's not going to be traded at some point this season. For all those reasons, all the uncertainty that swirls around the NFL, you go out and you get James Conner. I can sum it up as follows. The reason you go out and trade for James Conner is football. <laughs> That's why. You just get James Conner because football. Yeah, Bell, we've already seen he was supposed to come in during the bye week and there was already some sort of disagreement about that. And now like his return date has kind of shifted. So first we didn't know and then we knew and then now that's going to change. So, yeah, anything anything can really happen here. He can just never show up. As you mentioned, you know, they they could trade him. They could just be done with him. Who knows? Yeah, it's um, yeah, you could come back, not be in shape and get hurt right away. There's. I said all these things, Eric. You're just repeating everything I just said. <laughs> yes. What wide receivers are you trading for? Uh, well, we mentioned Tyler Boyd, and I think this is totally legit. The third year breakout for him, and you know the value is going to keep going up. He's got yeah, he's Keenan Allen. Yeah, he's at the Chiefs uh, on Sunday Night Football, so yeah, he's going to explode in a, in a primetime game, and, and the value is going to keep going up. So if I can get him now at cost. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, Keenan Allen's interesting. He's he's a bit of a buy low now because he hasn't really found the end zone a ton. And you know, I don't. If I had Keenan Allen, I wouldn't be worried about it. But his track record is too illustrious. He's still in his prime. If you drafted Keenan Allen, you're not trading him. You can't buy low on Keenan Allen. You know who you can buy low on though. It's Corey Davis. Oh, Corey Davis. Corey Davis. Jarvis Landry is a great buy low. Josh Gordon is a buy low because Josh Gordon led all Patriots receivers in snaps, routes, and targets. He supplanted Chris Hogan as the team's starting X receiver last week, and no one's talking about it because he didn't produce more than 50 yards, no touchdowns. Because he didn't score fantasy points, no one's talking about Josh Gordon. But when you look at the actual usage under the surface, it's very exciting. And He's still missing practice time with a hamstring injury, but I think he's close to 100%. Would you be surprised if the Patriots take Josh Gordon off the injury report as of Saturday and he's all systems go this Sunday in an alpha dog role tethered to Tom Brady? Tell me you don't want that receiver on your fantasy team. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you have to be excited for the opportunity with Josh Gordon. Uh, Corey Davis yeah, was the name that you mentioned there first. He's got a target share of over 30%. Now, the Titans don't throw a lot, but that's still, I mean, that is still a very massive target share. It's third in the league. You trade for Corey Davis because the Titans are coming off a gauntlet early season schedule. Did the Titans face one marshmallow pass defense? That was the game where Corey Davis actually did something was the Eagles. Yeah, the Eagles in one game, and Marcus Mariota went over 350 yards, and Corey Davis went bananas. Yeah, so yeah, Buffalo. Yeah, well, they got shut out by just got shut out by Baltimore. Yeah, lead pass defense. Buffalo the week prior to that, very good defense. The Eagles we mentioned. Week three was Jacksonville. Brutal, just a brutal schedule for the Tennessee Titans. And the way to take advantage of that by Corey Davis. Yeah, that's that's definitely somebody you could buy like super super low. Opportunity is more valuable than efficiency. And if you're going to key on anything, you key on the opportunity share and the target share for Corey Davis is worth pursuing by itself. 
Is there a buy-high wide receiver out there that you can think of? Mm. Let me give you a buy-high candidate. Okay. Robert Woods. Cooper Cup isn't going to play, at least this week. You know, perhaps beyond. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, Woods has been, I mean, just kind of everything <laughs> we we wanted and more. You know, Robert Woods is scoring close to 20 fantasy points per game. He's a WR1 in fantasy this year. And now there's no Cooper Cup? What am I missing? Yeah, it's it's all systems go for Woods. Uh, I guess the only issue... What if you're 3-3 three and three in fantasy football? If you're 3-3 three and three in fantasy football, you go and do whatever it takes to get a win this week. That means getting Robert Woods on your fantasy team somehow, some way. Yeah, that one that would be really tough because he's been so good, and I mean that owner should know Cup is out as well. So it's gonna, yeah, I mean it's gonna cost a lot, but so do it. What I'm telling you is do it. That's what buy high means, Eric. That is definitely a buy high. So you have Drew Brees, for example, trade Drew Brees and additional pieces to get Robert Woods because you can actually play. Mitchell Trubisky over Drew Brees this week on our rankings. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. We have Mitchell Trubisky and Drew Brees projected for the exact same number of fantasy points, and we go out to the second decimal place. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. Drew Brees on the road against Baltimore. Yeah, Drew Brees historically definitely not as good on the road, and Baltimore super intimidating. With Jimmy Smith in that secondary. So that secondary has Jimmy Smith and Brandon Carr, and Marlon Humphrey. That's the best secondary in the league. It's the best defense in the league. That's a better defense than Chicago has. Yeah, definitely better secondary, and yeah, Mac is banged up, so yeah, certainly. You gotta play Mitchell Trubisky this week against New England. If I'm making a decision between Trubisky and Breeze, I'm playing Trubisky. Yes, I would do that as well, and he's running as well, which is nice. Trubisky, kind of, he has kind of had that hidden floor for a while here with his, his rushing ability, which which dates back to college. He's always been a guy very willing to run. So, you know, he's not uh, thought of as the Konami code kind of running back, but or, or, sorry, quarterback. Well, Rich Rebar on this program told us over the summer, you got to go draft the biscuit. Why? Sneaky rushing production. The originator of the Konami code loved Mitchell Trubisky this offseason. And sure enough, here comes the biscuit. Yeah, and they're using Tariq Cohen more, which is awesome. You know, we want to see targets and big plays from Tariq Cohen, especially if they're attached to Mitchell Trubisky. So, uh, yeah, just kind of like the way things are trending here. It's it's been <laughs> it's been a bit of a bumpy road, but you know, we're we're slowly but surely getting there. What about Zach Ertz? Is he the best tight end in fantasy now? Ooh, uh, I think I still like Travis Kelsey a little bit more. I, I guess what really this brings up is, is Gronk over? Like, is this just it for Gronk? Cause I don't think Gronk is in the top two fantasy tight ends. If I have Gronk, which I do in numerous leagues, and someone offers me Zach Ertz, that's an auto accept. Totally. I can't believe him. we're here. I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. But we are. Yeah, we're totally it's here. It's crazy. But yeah, it's crazy. Kelsey's got uh, at least 60 receiving yards uh, in five straight games after a really quiet opener. But fear not, he's been <laughs> he's been extremely good uh, since that time. His targets three and double digits, eight and nine targets the last two weeks. He put over he put 100 receiving yards on Jacksonville. So he's pretty good. That guy, that Travis Kelsey guy. Yeah, he's he's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's I mean, Ertz is is darn good as well. But Although, you know, it seems like um, things are getting better with uh, with the Eagles passing game is kind of 
shaky there, but you know, Mahomes has just been so amazing. I, I think I would, I think I would still put Kelsey above Ertz. It's it's extremely close, and there's a conversation. Yeah, about I think the real takeaway though is it's just like Gronk is just not able to. <laughs> he's not able. He's not able. Yeah, he's not in this room anymore, and that's yeah, that that's kind of weird. And now Josh Gordon is online. Yeah, Julian Edelman is online. Yeah, James White has been. You know, really good receiver. The law of the conservation of targets is reducing Gronk's output, pushing his ceiling and his floor down. It's depressing. As a Gronk advocate, I hate it, but it's where we are. Yeah, and he's like the same age as Travis Kelsey, so we can't really say like, oh, like he's getting old and like these are like the new guys. Well, <laughs> he is getting old, though. His body is years older than Travis Kelsey's from both partying and all these injuries. This is a worn-down cyborg, whereas Travis Kelsey's at the peak of his powers. True. And, yeah, Gronk, I mean, last week without – he caught, like, two, I think, on the final drive or, or one real long one on the final drive that took a, a box score that was going to be atrocious into at least 97 yards, so – I mean, you're really, really lucky that you know we even got that last week. Tell me about it. What about Vance McDonald, though? Vance McDonald, as I predicted on the Underworld Game Night Show on Roto Grinders, he looks like a top five tight end in fantasy football now, doesn't he? Yeah, uh, I mean, but what does that mean <laughs> these days? There's not many. But it's exciting. No one was talking about Vance McDonald in the top five, but as the featured tight end in that Steelers offense. His ceiling is just outside that top three, those top three tight ends. That's his upside week to week in that Steelers offense. Yeah, the upside is high. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've seen the floor as well, which can be bad. But yeah, I mean, he's averaging over double digit fantasy points per game. You know, it's so and there's just like you said, not a lot of competition, competition uh, with that top five. Kelsey Ertz, Gronk, and then it's sort of like dot, dot, dot. Anybody can can really sneak in there. Why not Vance McDonald? He looks the part of the two way tight ends that can help you win fantasy leagues. We chase tight ends that look like Travis Kelsey and look like Rob Gronkowski because they're in the game in every situation. They're highly versatile. They can block in running situations, and then they're the guy standing in the back of the end zone catching the ball on the quarterback rollout. And they're also the guy that's lining up in the slot in four receiver sets. When you look at Vance McDonald's usage the last couple weeks, that's what we're seeing from Vance McDonald. And he's turning that usage into fantasy production. Eight targets last week, seven receptions, 68 yards. Vance McDonald's is not one of these situational tight ends like Trey Burton. He has a 109.886 percentile speed score at 6'4", 267. He looks the part of an every-down NFL tight end, and he's operating in one of the league's most prolific offenses. You need to go get Vance McDonald. Yeah, those are certainly yeah all phenomenal factors working in his favor. And what you also like to see, you know, he wasn't he was not healthy and wasn't able to go for week one. But we see the snap share climb literally every week. Every week, he's the guy now, man. Yeah, last week season high, uh, almost seventy two percent snap share. Uh, season high twenty five routes run. You mentioned the targets and the receptions; those were both season highs as well. So it's just yeah. Which is more and more Vance McDonald. Please get Vance McDonald. I want Vance McDonald to help someone win the Millionaire Maker because we just helped someone finish second place in the DraftKings Millionaire Maker. 
R. Spencer wrote an email to Roto Grinders thanking our show for helping him finish second place in the Roman Fantasy Football Millionaire Contest on DraftKings last weekend. Second place gets $100,000, Eric. He had no idea who we are, and he wanted to follow the hosts. And he said, I can tell you the podcast is new, and they have a very lively guy. He's especially lively for a DFS podcast host. And was he talking about, I can't tell, was it about me or you or maybe Ben? I don't know. Who could that, who could that person be? I think I'm going to go to the limb and say the lively guy he was referring to was one Matt Kelly, the podfather. And he said that he picked up Mitchell Trubisky because we talked about how Miami was an overhyped defense. So there you go. You're welcome, R. Spencer. We're changing lives, Eric. That's a feel-good story. Yeah, that was incredible. Yeah, when that when that email came across, yeah, reading that was uh, just awesome. Yeah, that's uh, as you said, yeah, just totally like life-changing money. So, yeah, awesome for him. Awesome for him. Awesome for us. Good job by us too. <laughs> the power of the internet. You put on a streaming web show, listen to a stranger, and win a bunch of money. Love it. I love it. I love that so much. And let's give the people some free DFS advice close out the show because that's what we are now we're dfs experts yeah we're uh we're like seal team dfs like 69-420 or something <laughs> we're re- we're gonna rebrand man we gotta like compete like the roto underworld like the- to compete with the elite mafia yeah like roto underworld and like the eyeballs it's just like that's just not gonna cut it in the dfs space we gotta like it's not just a mafia that we're competing with it's an elite mafia Ooh, that sounds scary all right, so who's your favorite cash game quarterback? Highest floor guy for cash games who's not necessarily expensive. Cam Newton at 5,900 really stands out to me. Bingo, correct answer sound. Yeah, I'd rather it be uh, in Carolina than at Philadelphia, but I mean... I actually don't mind him on the road one bit. Cam Newton in cash. How about in tournaments? Uh, Cam Newton is also good for tournaments. <laughs> also Cam Newton. I love it. Give me one more quarterback. Uh, well, let me give you t- Baker Mayfield. I think you can bring it back with Baker Mayfield, 5,800 at Tampa Bay. That's He burned people last week, so the ownership will be lower on Baker Mayfield. But you just go right back to Baker Mayfield, come right back over the top. Even more Baker Mayfield in your lineups this week than you had last week. Yeah. Trubisky and Flacco, not bad options either. What about running backs? Give me the least expensive running back you would play in cash games this week. This is a very difficult question. I think people are going to be challenged by this for for most of the week because you're obviously playing Todd Gurley. His price actually went down. He's 9,800. And the rest of these matchups, you're going to see as you break down the slate, it's a lot of like good offenses against very difficult defenses. So like the matchups are not particularly great. Do matchups matter though? That's a good question. Do do defenses matter? I don't. Somebody needs to look into this. Okay, let me give you the answer. It's Marlon Mack at home. Even though Buffalo is a stout run defense, they are still allowing a significant number of fantasy points to opposing running backs. And if you can assume that the Colts will be enjoying some positive game script, Bills quarterback is going to be Derek Anderson. If we just on game script and roll, I love Marlon Mack this week at. 4400 on DraftKings. Yeah, 4400. I mean, we played, I think Chris Carson was the same price last week. You know, kind of a similar play. You know, at home, you mentioned all the issues with Buffalo. 
Uh, I'm also a little interested. I don't know if I could do it in cash though. Is uh, Tariq Cohen at 5100? I think they're going to be, you know, very, they're going to have to be really competitive with New England. And I don't think Jordan Howard is is the running back that's going to make that happen. But I just, you know, I don't know if you're going to get enough touches, but you just need that explosive play. 5100 I, I like the price a lot. I think that's an interesting cash game play. We rarely play the satellite backs in cash, but with Tariq Cohen, only 5100 and it's the ideal game to play a satellite back. Chicago against New England. They're phasing out Jordan Howard in Chicago. They're doing to Jordan Howard what we want Cleveland to do to Carlos Hyde. Phase him out! Yeah, I mean, running back is so sticky this week that you may even end up like putting a receiver at flex. I don't know. Like, it's just not a great. It's not a great running back week, uh, at least on this main slate. It's only 10 games. So that's why you take a chance on Tariq Cohen commanding an even larger percentage of the opportunity share than he has the last couple weeks, but it's just only going up. Tick, 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 like going up the roller coaster. You could sense Matt Nagy realizing what he has in Tariq Cohen and just loosening the conservatism around the offense more and more every week because he doesn't want Tariq Cohen getting hurt because Tariq Cohen's small. But he also wants to win games. And you could argue that they lost the game last week because they didn't give Tariq Cohen the goal line touch that Jordan Howard fumbled. (laughs) But I don't watch the game, so how would I even know that? How would you know that? Yeah, but uh, we have 14 receptions over the last uh, two games for Tariq Tariq Cohen. Uh, Nine targets and eight targets. So, I mean, he's basically like a receiver. Uh, He's getting wide receiver level targets. So Okay, so who's your lineup-making cheap wide receiver like this week's Chester Rogers yeah we talked about Jermaine Curse at 4100 I think that's just sort of the layup yeah that's a layup let's just go on to the next one I'll give you one more uh Willie Sneed he's got a great great matchup in the slot I think it's like PJ Williams I believe is the dude for the Saints it's also a revenge game for Willie Sneed if you believe in that stuff but he's only four thousand dollars on DraftKings He's been kind of sneaky productive. So, you know, in a game that could score a ton of points, I don't mind Willie Sneed. We might also get Josh Reynolds, 3,500. He's got got a hand injury, though, which is a little troublesome. What? Yeah. Uh, And Taylor Taylor Gabriel is pretty cheap. Uh, So if you can't talk yourself into Tariq Cohen, you might be able to get some big plays uh, out of Taylor Gabriel and uh, and play him. You could also stack Mitchell Trubisky with... Taylor Gabriel and Tariq Cohen. You don't normally stack the quarterback and the running back to get the correlation boost. You stack the quarterback with wide receivers and tight end, but with a satellite back, you can actually stack Mitchell Trubisky with Cohen and Gabriel, much the way you can stack Cam Newton with Christian McCaffrey and Devin Funches. Yeah, very similar setup. And yeah, if you're you know, you might as well go like full game stack in tournaments, put in, you know, Josh Gordon or, you know, somebody else from, from New England. Oh, of course. That's a great game stack. Now, when you talk about correlation plays, give me another quarterback wide receiver correlation play for this week. Stack them up. A real cheap one that I like is Flacco, who is 54, yeah, 5,400 against New Orleans. Flacco and John Brown. Yep, John Rout has been a uh, yeah, air yards machine, so we like that. You know, I mentioned how cheap Willie Sneed is. You know, even Michael Crabtree popped up last week and, and did something. So, you know, there's a number of ways you can do that. Can we not play Michael Crabtree, please? 
please do not allow <laughs> week six to convince you that Michael Crabtree is back. He's not back. He's semi-washed. He's not totally washed. He's like Jordy Nelson. They're not totally washed. They're going to have big games. But you can't trust those guys. John Brown is top 10 in the NFL in total target distance. That's what you can trust. Yeah, and he was extremely popular last week. So again, it's the same situation where like last week's heavily owned guy, the bust, becomes like next week's tournament winner. Leverage recency bias to your advantage and play John Brown literally everywhere. Leverage recency bias to your advantage and play John Brown literally everywhere. Is that the show? I, I don't want to. I don't want to end with a tight end. That's, that's dumb. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I had like Injoku <laughs> and uh, O'Shaughnessy. If you want to get like dirt cheap, he's like the only guy that's still alive in Jacksonville. That's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that in the outtakes. Befuddling bus season, befuddling bus season, befuddling bus season. Oh, shit. Listen to me. I'm really good at this whole talking thing. These are black hole wide receivers. Not only do they themselves not score fantasy points, but no light can escape. The DFS elite mafia guru thing. And I will always say that wrong on purpose, by the way. It's not just any mafia. It's an elite mafia. Like, you're just, we're just not regular gangsters that kill people. We kill people in an elite way. We are more efficient than the normal gangster. We should be like SEAL Team DFS and then like a number or something. When you're SEAL Team 6, you're like government sanctioned. Like, what we're doing isn't even like a crime. Like, this is like totally like legit. (laughs) Just the mafia. I mean, fuck those guys. All they do is strangle people with piano wire. It's child's play, right? We're the elite mafia. Well, here's the thing that really crystallized for me is how last week, the whole conversation was, do defenses matter, right? Every tweet, everything was, do defenses matter? But by Sunday, by Sunday, everybody was talking about brunch on Twitter. So that, just this whole thing is so, you know it's big because it literally changed the conversation from, do defenses matter? Which was huge. Like This was like the roaring inferno conversation for days literally and then by sunday everybody's <laughs> talking about brunch are you gonna play are you gonna have brunch or play dfs and i know some people were like why is everybody talking about brunch all of a sudden so i know like pat james uh at pat james dfs he was a guest on the big tilt last year uh, i like his stuff literally had a tweet like why is everybody talking about brunch <laughs> like like he does like this 10 minute podcast where he's just driving in his car and he talks about the dfs slate he was talking about how uh Vontae Davis, how he quit. He said he like rage quit, like he turned the PlayStation off and just like retired. Jeff Manns is, uh, he certainly thinks a lot of himself. Yeah, it reminds me of like when Howard Stern would like go into a market and like vaporize like whoever like the local guy was like i think in like la it was like like bob and tom or some kind of something like that and like there's like man cow in chicago 
Jeff Manns thinks that the Boeing sounder that I do, which is an homage to Howard Stern, is childish. <laughs> Like, I'm sure there was a vaudeville act that had some sort of sexual joke in a boyoying type of sound. Here's the beauty of it. If you go too far ripping someone else's song or bit or whatever it is, when you go to put it on YouTube or when you go to put it on SoundCloud or any of these platforms, they will either shift the advertising revenue over to the originator of the content even if it's only a small percentage of your total video. Like, so for example, we have the Danny Woodhead funeral on our YouTube channel. And because the song Amazing Grace is playing in there for something more than 30 seconds, the algorithm picks it up and sends all of the ad revenue to the artist that whoever owns the rights to Amazing Grace. The rights management happen automatically. This idea that someone's stealing your sound online, that's not possible anymore. Maybe 10 years ago, that would be a legitimate gripe. That's an obsolete complaint nowadays. Even if we're using a highlight clip on a player in our video, whoever originated the highlight clip will get all the revenue from that. That licensing is what allows us to play just short clips on the show. There's a fair use threshold, and as long as you're under it, it's a win-win, right? Because someone hears a clip of a song on a podcast and like, oh, that was a cool song. I'm going to go find out what song that was, and I'm going to buy the whole song. I was just listening to the 30 for 30 podcast on the book Juiced by Jose Canseco, and no one's interested in the minutia. They want the salacious details. They want the details of Jose Canseco injecting Mark McGuire in a bathroom stall. They want the salacious details of Madonna meeting up with Jose Canseco at a club. This is why the Kardashians are the biggest celebrities in our society right now. If I can put on a platter beefs, butter, feelings, people yelling, lashing out, people upset, if we get someone crying at some point, that would be <laughs> wow, right? Someone's going to you know, flip a table over. The, the more emotional, the better. That's what stimulates a visceral response to the show and generates more listeners. These are the dog days, man. It's mid-October, right at the most opportune time on the calendar. Draft Pete Cheat wanders over and tells me to take the L on Calvin Ridley, delivering the fantasy football soap opera that everyone is tuning in every episode. Yeah, it's wild. You were talking about like culture and like the Kardashians. I think one of the most like fascinating things is like on YouTube, some of like the big like ninja, right? Like the biggest some of the most popular guys and people on YouTube are doing things that you could be doing, but you're watching them do it instead. Right, right. My daughter watches other little girls play Barbies. So she alternates between watching other kids play Barbies and then playing Barbies herself. Well, think about what people do with us on the Friday Night Game Night show on Roto Grinders. They're essentially watching us build DFS lineups. Have you ever, has it ever happened to you where you listen to the Swolecast and you're like, shit, they had a great take and we missed it? I think they were on Callaway too. I told you, I told you, I told you, I told you, I told you not to trust that guy. Didn't I tell you not to trust him? Uh, isn't it amazing how it was like, oh, Baker Mayfield, he's going to go to Cleveland. They've got wide receivers like for days and they've just peeled all these guys off. Coleman gone and, like the week before Mayfield's going to go. Josh Gordon, get out of here. You can go all the way back to Ricardo Lewis. They've lost so many 
players from that wide receiver room. It's stunning. Yeah, I mean, 100-yard rushers is like, I mean, that that's like seeing like Sasquatch. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Kirk Cousins can't support a WR1? What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, all right, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna stuff the straw like down my shirt and put the hat on, and then you just throw the matches on me. Demarius Thomas, and then he goes to Washington where he has Adrian Peterson and Jordan Reed and Jameson Crowder and Josh Jackson. Not the same caliber of skill position weaponry. I mean, Matt Kelly will not be publicly shamed into watching NFL games, but if I throw two of the best quarterback prospects we've seen since, like, Andrew Luck, now he's in. So, you're welcome, America. Are we sure Baker Mayfield is actually better than Sam Darnold? Oh, goodness. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. Yes, yes, yes! I have the power! Yeah, this is like Apple, Google stock. This is what it's going to be in like four weeks. <laughs> what about Amari Cooper? What the fuck? Oof. <laughs> yeah, he, he could buy playerprofiler.com for Matt Kelly, but he's not going to buy an NFL team. We're not for sale. That's when I traded them both. Why? Because I want to get as far away from John Gruden players as possible. Find that lead mate and grab his Johnson. Just get him. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Well, you didn't have to continue with that bit. You know, we were good there. I think we were good with what I did. Draft Cheat Pete has a baby dick. Draft Cheat Pete has a baby dick. Draft Cheat Pete has a baby dick. Find that lead mate and grab his Johnson. Just get him. <laughs> oh, good Lord. There will be no Khalil Mack, no Derek Carr, no Amari Cooper in a Raiders uniform. But guess who's going to be on the sideline? Shucky! Mark Davis couldn't buy an Arena League team at this point. Find that lead mate and grab his Johnson. That's what I've heard. Oh, Devin Funches is a trash can. Devin Funches is a trash can. Devin Funches is a trash can. Devin Funches is not a trash can. You know what Devin Funches is? Devin Funches is a cash can. The reason you go out and trade for James Conner is football. And grab his Johnson. It's trust a vampire to deliver fantasy points for his wide receivers. No way. Unless it's a night game. And grab his Johnson. Go to the pylon, Brandon! What are you doing? This isn't Kung Fu! But I don't watch the game, so how would I even know that? How would you know that? Was one Matt Kelly the podfather?
Draft Cheat Pete has a baby dick. You're welcome, America.